tonight. Amen. Amen. As you're making your way back to your seats, I want to invite you to turn with me in the Word of God to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 8. I want to first give honor to Bishop in his absence for trusting me. Bishop, we love you. We appreciate everything that you do. That's all right. Even in his absence, we can give him honor. Amen. Amen. Jesus. Book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 8. My voice is going a little bit tonight, so I've asked Pastor Sferlaza to do quite a bit of reading for me. And he's got my notes, so if, if it goes south really quick, then he can just take over. He preaches better than me anyway, so it all works out. Is anybody still feasting off of what happened in this house on Sunday? Man. Brother Stewart, that was absolutely incredible. That's a preacher right there, ladies and gentlemen. That is a preacher. I'm so thankful for Brother Stewart. Pastor Hammond, goodness gracious, my goodness, these, both of these men are tough acts to follow, very tough. I appreciate both of you very, very much. Thank you for following the Holy Ghost and doing what God told you to do. I pray that I can follow in those footsteps and do the same tonight. Um, I'm, I think we're going to slow it way down do a little teaching. I don't know. I don't know if I'm qualified for that. <laughs> and uh, if you don't get anything out of it, and if you don't think it's interesting, the good thing is that your seat was cheap tonight. As a matter of fact, it was free. So, and I don't want to get sued for false advertisements. So I want to just tell you that I'm not the best teacher. So, let's go ahead and see what God's going to do in this house. Amen. Amen. If you'll, if, you'll, if you'll listen and receive what God has for us, it may be good. Let's start there, though. Let's receive what God has for us. Amen. Book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 8, beginning at verse 1. Go ahead and read. And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre, and took bribes and perverted judgment. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together, and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of king that shall reign over them. Just setting a little bit of a backdrop tonight. It's a very familiar passage of scripture, very familiar book in the Bible, 1 Samuel. Most of us here know the story, so nothing that I'm going to say here is anything new, which helps. 
chapter 9, verse 27. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us. And he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Amen. Now turn with me to the book of, or same book, chapter number 16. It's a lot of scripture tonight, but that's okay. It's okay. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. And then verse 11 through 13. Go ahead and read. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And finally, verses 11 through 13. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold... He keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he's, he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look too. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him. For this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Israel is looking for a king. They're no longer interested in the old prophet Samuel. They want somebody younger. They want somebody powerful. They want a king and they want to be like other nations. And so God gives them a king. God gives them David. Saul, and then the Bible says that we know the story. Saul messes up big time. God switches over and says, I've got, now I've got a king. They chose the first king, but now I've got a king. And so we know the story. He anoints David, and David becomes the king of Israel. And so... For a few moments tonight, I'd like to just draw on this a little bit and talk to us a little bit about, the, about lessons from the mad king and the eighth son. Lessons from the mad king and the eighth son. Let's put our Bibles down and give God praise. Let's worship him. Come on, let's ask him to meet us in this house tonight. Lord, we need you. If you believe God can still move in the Bible study, why don't you lift your voice? Hallelujah, move in this house, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated in the name of Jesus. Lessons from the mad king and the eighth son. This may not make sense to a lot of people at first, but hopefully by the end of this, it'll make a little more sense. Mad meaning... Insane, not necessarily angry. One cannot make it through the open door. One must stay behind. I felt like in the theme of what's been, what's been preached the last couple of services that God wanted me to continue on with this idea a little longer. And that is going through the open door and some of the different challenges and some of the different things that happen. 
And in my goofy way of thinking, these two people came to mind. And the comparisons and the contrasts that David and Saul are. I felt like God was prompting me and saying only one of those will come out victorious. Only one of those will go through the door. And so with the help of the Holy Ghost, we're going to jump into it tonight. We find these two characters emerging at an interesting time in Israel's history. It's a time where nations all around them are recognized by the power of their leadership. Powerful warlike rulers emerge onto the scene all around Israel. In their desire to be known and seen like all of the other nations, they too desire a monarch. The only problem was that this was not how God intended for it to be with them. God had desired for them to be his people and his people alone. A direct rule by God and his man, which is also known as a theocracy or rule by God. This did not suit the Hebrew people in their exodus from Egypt, and it would not suit them now. They wanted a king, and they wanted him now. Samuel, in his self-pity and broken heart, brings this grievance to God, and the Lord informs him that they have not rejected him, but rather they've rejected God. Even though this is devastating to God, he concedes and tells Samuel to anoint a king for his people. Samuel tells the people what kind of king he would be. He would be a hard man, a man that would take their children from them and force them to work in the fields, force them to work in his kingdom, but the people didn't care. They wanted to be like everyone else. Can I just say at the offset of this that you and I as children of God were not meant to be just like everybody else. You and I were not meant to look, talk, act like everybody else in the world. You and I are a chosen generation. That means that you were specifically picked. A royal priesthood. You and I are chosen by God, separated from the rest of the world. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's a great thing. We're a people that is ruled by God directly. And when you try and get in the way and you try to put a man in place of God, you'll realize very soon that man falls very short of God. Man falls horribly short of God, so much so that God had to come in the form of a man to deliver man. We're not like everybody else. It breaks my heart when I see people in the church, young people in the church, they desire the things of the world. They desire to look like the world and to talk like the world. And you can begin to see the traits from the world starting to transfer onto them. And it's so sad because if they only knew the potential that God had for them and, and the, the purpose that God had set apart for them, that they shouldn't want to be like the world. As a matter of fact, you were called out from the world so that you could reach the world. It's a beautiful thing to be separate from the world because you know what ends up happening is that when I make myself separate, I can show forth, it's in 2 Peter, I believe, show forth the praises of him that has called me out of darkness. Look, if God called me out of darkness, if God set me free, if God took this dirty life and he made something beautiful out of it, then he can do the same for you. Separation from the world is a beautiful thing and it's not something that we should despise as people of God. It's not something that we should look down upon as children of the Most High. You were set apart and chosen for such a time as this. It's high time that we embrace our differences from the world. It's high time that we embrace the fact that we don't go to the same places the world goes. And that we don't watch the same stuff. And that we don't listen to the same stuff that the world does. And so Samuel begins the hunt for a new king. It's not long until this new king actually finds him. Saul is looking for his father's sheep one day and walks right up to Samuel, not even realizing who he was. The Lord spoke to Samuel, told him that this would be the one. This would be the king that the people were looking for. And rightly so, Sam, Saul was a bright young man. He was well built. 
handsome, head and shoulders above everyone else. He reminds me a lot like Matthew. Without the evil spirit. Because Brother Matthew is an absolutely incredible young man. He was humble and meek, and yet he was a mad king in the making. Saul's appointment as king gave him a false sense of security in his new title. He starts off doing pretty well. As a matter of fact, he leaves from being anointed by Samuel and runs into a group of prophets. He joins up with them and he begins to prophesy. It's not long until Saul proves that he's worthy of this new title of king by winning not only the hearts of the people, but also various victories over Israel's enemies. It's not too far into this escapade, however, that Saul begins his decline. As a matter of fact, only two years after being named king, we see the demise of Saul begin to unfold. Two years it took for this humble, meek, handsome, well-liked man to fall. Battle is raging between the Philistines and the Israelites, and in the midst of all this confusion and fearfulness, Saul makes a sacrifice to God in preparation for the battle. In a way to unite the people, Saul goes up and he makes the sacrifice. This would have been a noteworthy deed had it not already been told to him to wait seven days until Samuel would return and he would make the sacrifice. Can I tell somebody today that your timing and God's timing are two totally different things? What you think... What you think is proper parameters for a time period of, what's, of what should happen and what shouldn't happen is totally different than what God views as the proper parameters. One thing we've got to remember is that God lives outside of time. And so he's not restrained by the same time, the same time limits that you and I are restrained to. Everything that happens outside of this little bit of space and time is perfect in the eyes of God. We serve an absolutely perfect God. And if he is absolutely perfect, then his timing is absolutely perfect. See, that's hard to swallow for us humans. Because with 70 to 80 years, time is slowly slipping. Time is slowly getting away from us. And so we feel like, especially with the advent of technology, that if things aren't done right here and now, then we're wasting precious time and that something won't get done because of it. But God said, no, 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 no. We got, we're on different time zones here. Go ahead and read for me chapter 13, verse number 8. And he tarried seven days, according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me. And peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. He waited the seven days. But when it didn't happen at the exact time that he expected it to happen. At the time that he said in his mind that it's going to happen at this point. When it was just five minutes too late, Saul takes it into his own hands and says, all right, I guess we're going to have to just move on without the man of God. I know he said to wait for him, but we've waited seven days. What would you do? The man of God told you to wait seven days and you waited seven long days, 24 hours a day, 60 minutes an hour. Waited for the man of God and he never showed up until five minutes after you decide to make the offering. I wonder when on that seventh day Saul decided to make the offering. Was it in the morning? Was it at night? Was it exactly seven days from when Samuel told him he would be back? We don't know, but what we do know is that on that seventh day, Saul said, I'm not waiting any longer. Not waiting any longer. I know the man of God said this, but he's taking too long. Here's the first lesson from the mad king. Learn to wait on God. 
Learn to be patient when it comes to the word of God. When God gives you a word, learn to wait patiently on the fulfillment of that word. No doubt Saul was under immense stress and pressure from the situation surrounding him. Makes sense, right? Saul had all of these men around him that he had to care for. The Bible says they came to him in distress. They didn't know what to do next. They didn't know where to turn. They didn't know if they were supposed to fight. They didn't know if they were supposed to flee. They were hiding in caves and in bushes and all these things. And, and Saul's thinking, man, I've got to make a decision. and I've got to make it now. And he, he, he skips ahead. And he does what he thinks is right. However, this wasn't one of those moments where you read in leadership books and manuals where you get to see the leader show a little creativity under pressure and make, do a little problem solving. This wasn't one of those moments where Saul was meant to grab the reins and say, all right, it's time for me to take over. This was a moment that God was waiting to see, can you be obedient to the man of God that I've set over you? Not every time is it time for us to take the reins and say, all right, God, maybe this is just a test. If God gave you a word and if God used his man to speak to you and it hasn't happened yet, you better hold on just a little while longer. Because don't you ever forget that God's timing and your timing are two different things. Abraham, don't you ever think that, that I'm running behind or that I'm a little bit late here. If you go ahead and you put your hands on this, you'll birth an Ishmael and you'll mess this entire thing up. If you put your hands on this, Abraham, if you mix flesh with the divine, you'll go ahead and birth something that you never thought you'd be able to handle. You never thought you'd have something like this on your hands. And now you've got two entire nations Millennia down the road that are still warring with each other. I feel like we need to have a fresh revelation of God's word. Can I remind you that if your God said it, if your God promised it, then it's done. He's not a man that he would lie. He's not flesh like you and me. Whatever comes out of his mouth has to take action. Whatever comes out of his mouth has to form. Whatever comes out of his mouth has to accomplish that which he set out to do. His word won't return it to him void. It can't because he can't lie. The very essence of God is that he is truth. And so if he told you that it was going to happen, you can take it all the way to the bank and back that it's going to happen. Lesson number two from the Mad King. Take ownership of your mistakes. Verse 11 and 12. And Samuel said, what hast thou done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me. And that thou camest not within the days appointed. And that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal. And I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Immediately, excuses. Immediately, it was because I saw the people scattered from me. I was worried for them. You didn't come when you said you were going to come. And now the Philistines are gathered around us. When all the while God was waiting up in heaven and just saying, will you take responsibility? Can you shoulder the burden of leading these people? Or are you going to start down a road of pointing fingers? And we see it's not very many chapters later, not very many years later in Saul's life where he's down a road of pointing fingers at everybody else but himself. And eventually it leads to his utter destruction. Don't blame everyone else around you as to why you're going through what you're going through. Or why you can't do this. Or why you can't do that. Instead, assume the responsibility for what you did. Learn from it and move on. This is one of the greatest components of being a leader. Extreme ownership, Brother Judah. Everything is on me. Success and failure rides 
on the backs of leaders. You've heard it said that once you have the Holy Ghost, you're a leader. No ifs, ands, or buts. That in and of itself qualifies you to be a leader. Lesson number three from the Mad King. Trust and obey the man of God. Verse 13 and 14. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be a captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Saul, because you couldn't trust what the man of God said. Because you couldn't listen to the voice of the man of God and, and the things that God was trying to tell you. You couldn't keep his commandments. The kingdom now stops with you. If you would have just learned to be obedient. If you would have just learned to trust that the man of God knows what he's talking about. That the man of God has your best interests at heart. That he doesn't seek to lead you astray, Saul. If you had just trusted in that, then your kingdom would have been established forever and ever. But because of that, because of that simple mistake that you made, because of your fear, because of your insecurity, God said it stops right here with you. Even if the man of God doesn't know what he's talking about. First lady, even if the man of God is wrong, God will honor you because of it, because of your obedience. It's when you step outside of that authority of the man of God that God begins to deal with you now. While you were underneath that headship, you were safe and you were covered. But when you step outside of it, you become just like the rest of the examples of the Bible who thought they could do it their own way. So many examples. The Bible is littered with, with the bones of men and women that thought they could get by doing it their way. It's a graveyard of men and women that thought that they could take the reins and they didn't have to listen to a man of God. Don't let that be said about you in this house. God forbid that's said about me today. That I can't learn to just trust the man of God. See, this is a big deal to me. This is something that, and I, I may have mentioned this before, this is something that I've seen played out in my own family. This isn't in my notes, but I feel like being vulnerable right now. My, my parents are the epitome of obedience. If I could tell you the amount of times, and this is no knock on my leadership, but if I could tell you the amount of times when my dad would receive a call, receive a text, and he would look at it and say, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. Why, why am I being told to do this? Or why am I being told to do that? Zero. Because he understood obedience. He understood serving the man of God. Serving the vision of God. My mother's another example. Being told. Being told to do things. And again, please don't think this is a knock on my leadership because it's not at all. But sometimes you've got to learn to just put your flesh aside. You've got to learn to put your, your arrogance and your insecurity aside and just be obedient. Yeah. 
I won't even, I won't even use them as an example. I'll use myself. As a leader, I've made several mistakes. I've told people to do things and it was completely wrong. I've told people to do things and, I, and, 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 and it was the worst idea ever. But because of people's obedience, I've watched God bless people and elevate them underneath me. And I'm not some special leader, so don't get it twisted. But I've watched it play out in my parents' lives. I've watched it play out in people's lives around me. So all obedience is better than sacrifice. If you want the blessing and the prosperity of living for God and the, the bountiful blessings that come with it, then you need to understand that those blessings first fall on top of the man of God. And they trickle down to the rest. So when you step outside of that and you make it up in your mind that you're going to do it your way, and you determine within your spirit that I'm going to do everything I can to be against that. It won't be long until those blessings completely stop flowing in your life. It won't be long until that health and that prosperity that you so enjoyed and you loved while you were underneath that authority and that headship. It won't be long until it's completely taken away. God, I don't know why I feel like saying that. Maybe this is for me. <laughs> leaders sometimes don't even realize, or, or people underneath leaders don't even realize the weight that's on their leader. They don't even realize the arrows that they have to take on a daily basis for you and me. People don't realize, Brother John, Pastor Svalaza, the demons that you have to face for those kids. And if it's tough for us, if it's tough for leaders in the church that are over 10s and 15s and 20s or whatever it is, then imagine what it is on your man and your woman of God. I love it when people, when, when I, I hear people talking about how they're, they're stressed and, and they're, they're, they're being attacked and all this stuff. And, and I understand that's a real thing. And, and I, I sympathize and but don't let it take you out. Don't let, one, don't let one scrap take you out for the rest of the year. You have no idea what the people that are above you are going through and how much they're actually holding back for our sake. It's precisely why Aaron and Joshua came up and they held, or Aaron came up and he held the man of God's hands. It looks like such a simple task, right, in comparison to the men laying their lives down on the battlefield. All he's doing is holding up the staff. All bishop and first lady do is counsel people all day. All they do is sit back and organize events and make sure things happen or smooth. You have no idea the spiritual impact that is going on. No idea. To everyone else around Moses, it was just him holding up the staff. But to Moses, he felt the weight of an entire nation and the spiritual battle that was taking place down in that valley. And Aaron was wise enough to recognize it and say, this is more than just a physical battle. I digress. Lesson number four from the Mad King. God knows better than me. This kind of goes hand in hand with trust and obedience to the man of God. But read for me 1 Samuel chapter 15, 7 through 9. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Hivalah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Am Amalekites, alive. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep. 
and of the oxen. And Go of right the there. And Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen. Keep reading. And of the fatlings and, of, and the lambs and all that was good. All that was good. Keep reading. It would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused, that they destroyed utterly. Everything that Saul and the people thought was good, everything that they saw and they said, this is the best, that they spared. But everything else that to them was vile and refuse, that they destroyed. The problem is, is that the word of God came forth, didn't say to analyze what was the best and what was the worst. The word of God came forth that you were to destroy everything. Can I just remind somebody that God knows better than me and you what is good and what is not good for us. Can I say it like this? Your man of God knows what is beneficial and what is not beneficial to your soul. That's why I don't fight when the man of God says, hey, we're not going to watch Hollywood. The man of God's on the wall. I'm not. God didn't put me in that position. So if the man of God sees something that I don't see, then by God, I'm going to go ahead and just be obedient. Saul, you don't know everything. Because the truth is what you think is good may be the very thing that comes back and destroys you later. You don't have to read very much further to realize that that's exactly what happened to Saul. And Amalekite came and he killed Saul. The thing that he was supposed to utterly destroy. Because he said, I'm just going to take the best and leave the best for, for God. For God. I'm going to leave the best for him. And I'm going to kill everything else that I view as, as bad and evil. You don't set the parameters. I don't, I don't set the parameters of what's good and what's bad for me. Don't get it twisted. You should let the Holy Ghost deal with you. You should let the Holy Ghost talk to you. As a matter of fact, I contend for more Holy Ghost conviction in, in an individual's life. Rather than just going blindly by what the man of God says. That's, that has its place, but you ought to get some conviction of your own. Where you get to a prayer room and you say, I've heard it preached before, where you get to a prayer room and you say, is this skirt too long or is this skirt too short? Where you get to the prayer room, young man, and you say, man, should I be wearing this shirt or should I put this one away? Man, should I go to that party or should I not go to that party? The truth of the matter is, is that you don't need to call your pastor, your bishop about every little thing that goes on in your life. You should be praying about it to see what God tells you. Saul couldn't get past the fact that he wasn't in charge and that he wasn't making the decisions. So when a decision arose that was contrary to his worldview, he instantly retorted and chose his own way because it made more sense. Because it, it fit his perspective. Perspective is a funny thing. Because a lot of times it can be very narrow can be very narrow and very shallow. And if you're not willing to admit that your perspective may be wrong, you'll never grow. If you're not willing to admit that, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm probably just not seeing this the right way. Hey, can you help me out with this? If you're not willing to go that far, then you're going to remain a shallow Christian for the rest of your life. Learning to submit to the will of God, learning to submit to the voice of God means admitting that, hey, you know what? I was wrong on this one. I'm not, I'm not screaming tonight, I know, but I'm, I'm really trying to help somebody. I'm really trying to help somebody. It, so we've talked about lessons from the mad king, the insane king, the crazy king. And there are plenty more. As a matter of fact, I, I have more typed up. But I'm not trying to keep you all here all night and bore you. So I want to turn your attention now to the eighth son. Upon Saul's utter failure to be obedient 
to the man of God, the kingdom is stripped from him and given to another. Samuel does not know who this other person is, but he knows that he'll find them in the house of Jesse. Samuel went through seven sons before Jesse even remembered that there was another son entirely. This son was the forgotten son. This was the son that was sent away to a hillside and was rarely ever seen. This was the eighth son. This was David. The eighth son was the last one to be considered because in everybody's mind, he least resembled the previous king. Unlike Saul, David was not a commanding figure. Unlike Saul, David was a little boy that took care of sheep on a hillside, seemingly forgotten by even his own father and brothers. But don't discount the eighth son. The eighth son has something that the mad king does not have, and that's obedience. It took obedience for the eighth son to go out into the field and tend the sheep. It took dedication and commitment to that obedience and that command for him to remain in the field until his father had need of him. I would wager tonight that the eighth son's obedience is far more valuable than the mad king's many, many sacrifices. As a matter of fact, Samuel agrees with me. He looks at Saul and says, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. You can go ahead and give me all the bulls and all the goats and all the sheep, all of you want. But Saul, if your heart's not in it, if you don't have a desire to truly serve me, and if you're only in this for your self-gain and for what you can get out of it, then it means nothing. Obedience is better than sacrifice. This eighth son would be the beginning of a new line of kings in Israel. A line built on obedience and sacrifice. Obedience and sacrifice. The previous administration believed that the sacrifice alone would result in a prosperous kingdom and lineage. How mistaken he was. This eighth son would be soon known as the greatest king in all of Israel. His fame would spread to distant lands quicker and further than the mad kings ever would or could dream. This all would be accomplished, not because of a desire to be accepted or noticed by men, but rather by a desire and dedication to serve and please the shepherd. As long as this remains the focus of the eighth son, he will forever be prosperous. But if he ever feels like he can do it by himself, then he starts to turn into the mad king that he despises. And the mad king that he ran from for 20 years. Samuel went through seven sons until he landed on the chosen, David. Eight in biblical numerology signifies a new beginning. Eight people saved on the ark out of millions. Sons are circumcised on the eighth day in Jewish tradition. Jesus waits eight days to reveal himself to Thomas the skeptic. And so David was chosen as the eighth son, signifying a new reign in Israel. God already told Saul that he was no longer recognized as king and that the kingdom would be rent from him and given to another. Little did he know that it was the eighth son, the one that played the harp and tended the sheep, who would be the recipient of the new kingdom, of the kingdom of Israel. It was the eighth son, the one that was forgotten on the hillside. The eighth son, the one that was ruddy, the one that was, 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 was probably a little wild. He probably, he probably had a little bit of a crazy look in his eyes. He, he spent time with sheep. He talked to the sheep probably. It was this son that would soon replace the mad king. It was this son that would soon be the greatest king that Israel has ever known. What made David the greatest king and what made Saul the worst king or one of the worst kings was their response to the voice of the man of God. It was their obedience to the will of God in their life. And so, unlike Saul, the eighth son was patient. He learned to wait on God and it. He got his patience from spending days on a hillside tending his father's sheep. 
And when he was anointed king, he patiently waited for God to open the door for him to step inside. He took lessons from the, the mad king. And he said, I'm not going to make that same mistake. Unlike Saul, this eighth son assumed responsibility of his wrongdoings. The prophet Nathan comes to him in regards to Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite. And upon realization that he indeed was the man that, that Nathan mentions, he assumes responsibility and immediately repents and accepts the judgment of God. Unlike Saul, the eighth son trusted and obeyed the man of God in his life. Over and over again, we see David simply obeying the man of God. In his youth, he obeys Saul, who was then the anointed king of Israel. And in David's eyes, there was no one greater save Samuel. He obeyed the man of God, Saul, and he did whatever he asked him. He kills 200 Philistines for their foreskins, pointless, yet he obeyed. Yeah, he did it for the bride, but there was still obedience attached to it. He could have reared back and said, that's a little too far. Now you're asking me to do a little too much. But instead, David sucked it up and said, all right, you want me to risk my life? I got you. In his upper years, we find him obediently putting, putting the construction of the tabernacle on hold, his life was a life of obedience and submission. This was the man after God's own heart. This was the eighth son. The eighth son, unlike the mad king, knew, what the, knew that the Lord was far smarter than he was. He knew that the God that he served was far above his ways and, and beyond finding out. So much so that he writes in a psalm and he marvels at the heavens and how they were made. And it's the handiwork of God. And he talks about being made a little lower than the angels. And he sits there and he marvels at the greatness and the vastness of God and the space that he's created and how far away it seems and how great he is. I could give you a list of things tonight, a list of lessons from David, from the eighth son, a list of lessons even longer from Saul, the mad king. But one of the biggest things, the common denominators in David's life, the eighth son, was that he allowed room for God to correct him when he was wrong. He allowed room for God to actually guide him. You see, when, when Saul became king, it was never God's intention to just leave Saul to his own devices. As a matter of fact, Saul, Saul, Samuel comes to Saul and says, listen... God wants you to do such and such. God wants you to go and kill the Amalekites. Because you're now in this position, because you've now been elevated and you've been given the authority, now I want you to start working on my behalf. The problem is, is that Saul got it in his mind that he was above God. That he was above the man of God in his life. And that because he had been elevated so quickly and so greatly, and he had so much influence with the people, that he could make his own decisions apart from the man of God. He no longer had to consult him. At one point, he did consult the man of God. Later on, we find out that he asks again, God, what do I do? Nothing. Because he didn't listen the first time. God's not going to... God's not going to circumvent his authority. If, Saul, if Samuel told him to do something and he didn't do it, God said, all right. If you can't listen to the authority I've set up in, my, in your life, then how are you going to be able to listen to me directly? Reminds me of the scripture that in the New Testament where it talks about how can you say you love God when you can't even love your brother? God, you can't see, but you can see your brother. You're going to tell me that you, you love something that's invisible and that you can't touch? But you can't love your brother? Saul, you're going to sit here and tell me that you desire obedience and, and, and you want to give everything to the kingdom of God, but when it comes to the man of God in your life, we circumvent it. 
I say that's, that's where I draw the line. That's where I draw the line. Unless God shows me that I don't have to listen to that. I've heard that before. How foolish and how reckless. That's why God gave you a pastor. That's why God gave you a shepherd. To lead you. To guide you. As he is being led by God. By the shepherd. If you can't trust the man of God in your life, then how can you trust God? How can I say I trust God but not his man? That's literally an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. You can't say, God, I trust you completely. And then when he sends the man of God to you to tell you something, you say, I don't trust you. That's who God sent to you. To prove your trust. To prove your loyalty. I don't care where you read in the Bible. No successful leader. No successful saint. No successful Christian got anywhere significant on his own. Somewhere you can trace their success or failure back to them either having a man of God or not having a man of God. If you want to not only walk through the door, but if you want to be prosperous on the other side of the door, if you want to be safe on the other side of the door, remember the message. It's a great door. It's a prosperous door, but on the other side of it, many enemies. If you want to be safe on the other side of the door, if you want to be covered, if you want to be prosperous, if you want the blessing of God, then it's going to take you getting as close to your man of God as you possibly can. <laughs> Moses, Aaron, Miriam. I speak to everybody if I want to. If there's a prophet in your midst, you'd know it. But don't get it twisted. With Moses, I speak mouth to mouth. <laughs> mouth to mouth, not face to face, mouth to mouth. That means they're speaking the same thing. Moses, or Aaron and Miriam, whatever Moses says is what I'm saying. I speak to him mouth to mouth. Church, if... If we can't learn to trust Samuel, if we can't learn to trust the man of God and to be obedient, then you'll end up a mad king dying on a hillside somewhere by suicide. You'll end up a mad king on the other side of the door because you couldn't lay down your will. You couldn't lay down your desires and you couldn't be obedient. Difference between the eighth son and Saul. Well, Saul was chosen first. David was chosen last. David was, was, was looked down upon. The Bible says that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Don't desire to be the first in line. Don't desire to be the head honcho and the big dog, the man with all the power and prestige. You'll end up a mad king. But rather desire to be the eighth son. Desire to just serve God and be happy with whatever position he gives you. First lady, I resolved in my mind a long time ago that if I mow lawns for the rest of my life, if I cut this grass for the rest of my life, I will be satisfied. I will be happy because you know why? 
because I'm in the kingdom of God. I'm in the will of God. I'm in the hand of God. But if I ever start to think that I can circumvent God's purpose and God's plan and I can do it my way, you'll see me spiritually dead somewhere on the side of the road. This was different tonight. Very different. And you know what? For once, I don't apologize for it. <laughs> Seems a bit repetitive. Heard a lot of talk about the man of God. A lot of talk about obedience. I feel like God's just trying to reach some people. Solidify it. When you get on the other side of that door and those blessings and those prosperities begin to fall on your life, you begin to elevate. Like, just like Saul. You begin to elevate. And the blessing of God, unfortunately at times, can blind you to the reality that you're nothing without him and without his authority. Don't get it twisted. The only reason you're successful, the only reason that you and I prosper is because there's a man of God somewhere laying on his face. Even after Saul rejected God, even after Saul told him, I don't want anything to do with you, I'm doing this my way, Saul, Samuel went back and he cried and he wept. He wept for Saul. The Bible says, when you were little in your own sight, were you not prosperous? When you were little, you were great. And now that you're great, God views you as little. I don't want to belabor the point, so let's stand tonight. New beginnings, number eight. The eighth son. We're walking into a new dimension. We're walking into a new territory, into a new paradigm of revival and of blessing and prosperity. And so the question is, will you leave the mad king behind? Will you learn? Will you learn the lessons that just because you're elevated doesn't mean you're somebody now, doesn't mean you made it now? you learn the lesson that I still need a man of God in my life and that I still need God's authority in my life God forbid we get on the other side of the door and people start falling left and right insane in their minds doing it their own way because they couldn't submit let's all pray Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. God is wondering in this place, will you let the eighth son prosper in your life? Will you let the eighth son be the one that goes through the door with you? Or will you despise the humility? Will you despise the meagerness of this, of this life and the meekness of this life? And will you go in with a, a perspective that you can do it all? Will you go into the next dimension high and mighty on your high horse? thinking that nobody can touch you and nobody can say anything and, and that you're better than the voice of God or will you bring that eighth son with you and say alright God today's the day where I start fresh today's the day where I leave that old king behind where I leave that old mentality behind and where I begin anew come on can we pray tonight 
on, you don't have to cry, you don't have to weep. Make it up in your mind tonight. Make it up in your mind tonight. Come on, I'm leaving it behind me. I'm leaving the old king behind me and I'm embracing the new. I'm embracing the new. Lord, I agree my desire passionately is to be what you call me to be. And that's what I'll be. I will be what you've called God, whatever it is that you have for me, that's my desire. God, I don't want my own way. I don't want my own will. But Lord, I want whatever you've called me to be. God, I want to do whatever you've called me to do. Lord, I agree. My desire. what I'll be I'll say yes yes I am come on somebody make it up in your mind right now right here right now God I'll be what you called me to be God in this next season in this next paradigm Lord I'll leave everything behind God, I'll leave it behind and I'll be what you called me to be. Lord, if that means I've got to humble myself, I'll do it. God, if that means I have to take the fish rows, I'll do it. I just want to be in your will, God. I just want to be in your will.